The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good evening, and welcome back to The Working Artist Project. My name is Darian Douglas, and unfortunately tonight, it's just me, just me and Emily Brayton. Uh, Gregory, my fearless co-host, has, it seems like he's got COVID, so he's resting up and healing up, so y'all send him some loving and uh, restful energy. And uh, so tonight's guest is a very special guest. He's probably the most soulful sister uh, in the on, in the world, man. You know, she's 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 so killing, as we say in the jazz idiom. But I don't even know if jazz, the word jazz, can contain her, man. She she really surpasses that word. But why don't we get her right in here and see what's up? What's up, Emily? Hello, hello. <laughs> What's up? There you go. What's Hi. going on? How you doing? Good. How are you feeling? I feel good. I feel good tonight. I'm ready to. I'm ready to get this over with. Get this. Get this. This <laughs> done. I've been anticipating this all week. I'm me too. Thank it. you for asking me to be part of this. I've Absolutely. been watching, and I was watching the, you know, the episodes. You've had a lot of our friends on, a lot yeah. of the, the crew. So <laughs> I'm happy to join the club. Hey. You know, we've been out here for a long time since for since 2016, I think, was the first I, episode of the Working Artist Project. And here we are. 2021. I saw you posted it was like more than more than 70. And that was a while ago. Yeah, it's like 86, maybe you're 86 or 87. I don't know. I, I lose track, but let's get right into it. Okay. I, I want to talk about your background. And, and uh, we were talking earlier before we went live that you're you're originally from Idaho. <laughs> Yo, Idaho is famous for potatoes. Why is that funny? <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I, I've been to Idaho. I, it, there was there was a lot of grass and trees and stuff. okay. You know, I, I, I don't want to look. I'm from Mississippi, so I can't I can't do too much talking. But I do want to get into your background and kind of how you got so soulful in a place like Idaho. Okay, so yes, born and raised in Idaho, um, went to the music education program there, and then left right after high school, um, and stayed in the Northwest for quite a while before I moved to New York City. But um, yeah, I know that that is a strange, I guess, a strange beginning for someone who loves jazz and soul and blues and Black American music. But I, um, I was lucky to kind of my family music was just a, a part of my family like my my brother loved music my mom loved music we always from and I think it's just genetic too my mom was actually adopted but when we read the adopted the adoption papers it was um her mom played piano and sang her dad spoke a bunch of languages and and um and played the guitar or something like that so I do think it is a it is a like a lineage thing as well but um, her, the my grandmother who adopted my mom was probably the person who I would um, sort of, I would say gave me music really early on. We'd always have this joke about like pulling up to my grandmother's house and being like, what's going to be playing now? What's going to be Queen or B.B. King or um, Carol King or 
Beethoven or Ella Fitzgerald or, you know, so um, I have like really early memories of sitting in front of those speakers in her home and just like completely being taken away. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like music when it is a calling or when it's in you, you, you find it, you know, it's been a lot of early, there was a record store called the record exchange that I would go to take the bus to and get my little, you know, my CDs and things like that. And you seek it out, you know? So, um, I do feel like, uh, my grandmother sort of opened that door for me. And then it's just something that you, you possess a, a, a need and a desire to connect with, yeah, with, your, um, with that conversation. Your grandmother was hip, man. She was listening to Queen and BB King. Who does that? She was on so many levels. She, um, she, they moved to Idaho from Texas. Um, and my grandmother was, my grandmother's sort of my, my hero, my shiro. She was a very liberal woman. She, um, and she also, the coolest thing about my education as far as music goes is that she infused American history with it immediately. Like we had lots of conversations about the civil rights movement. We had lots of conversations about the Neville brothers and how they sort of embodied what America is, this mixing of cultures and this, um, and so, like, I remember that from very on. I remember her, t- you know, all of those conversations are very much a part of how I, or, or of my um, my passion for music and what right. I think about the music. So you just at home listening at these records, listening to, and, and you just started singing or, or how did that, were you singing at school or how did that all come So about? apparently, I know, I was definitely like one of those little um, love the spotlight girls, apparently. So we, you know, you look back at home videos and I was like, excuse me. Excuse me, everyone. I have the microphone. So I think that's just part of a personality thing, too. But definitely always singing. And I always say, like, I thought I would be sure my, both my parents are teacher and um, as well as my grandparents. But I think um, I, I developed like in loving music so much and just being a music lover and always like singing into the walls of my bedroom and being in choirs and things. I realized probably like middle of high school that it really like all of that training, essentially, all of that shedding that I didn't call shedding at the time because it was just fun to sing along to the to music and dance around. That really gave me my voice as an artist, or at least the sort of inception of, of who I am as an artist. So it was just so much joy. Like, I think that's also something the pandemic is allowing a lot of us to return to is, is that like kind of private love affair with music that we all started with. And then as it becomes a profession and a career that changes, but I feel like I've I've kind of reconnected with that in the way that I listen and the way that I'm singing for myself, by myself. It's it's a whole different thing, but it's reminding me of those early like adolescent days. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Like it's funny because I've kind of had the opposite thing happening to me, at, at least at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm coming back around now, but okay. be- because I couldn't play and because I couldn't perform, I didn't want to listen to music or I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to like do other stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and, but it's beautiful to hear that you are like going back deep into it because you do have that love. The love changes. You know, it's like when you love somebody, the love for music grows and changes as you grow and change. It really um, does. Yeah. And I oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I definitely relate to what you're saying, too. I feel like there's been so many different um, phases and parts of of kind of renegotiating my relationship to music through this. And there have definitely been months. I mean, the month of December, I barely sang. And then all of a sudden I was doing a live stream and I was like, oh yeah, right, this this thing. So like, I've gone through a lot of different phases and some of them have been more painful than others. And also some of it has been about like, thinking about how um, for so many years now, cause I'm old, I'm older than you, Darian, okay? 
How you know? And How you know? <laughs> I know I'm older than you. How, um, for like, I'm talking almost two decades, almost of, oh. of being a performer and hustling and just that's what I've been doing and, and look, you know, those weeks that you definitely know about because I could never get you for a gig because you were always busy. Those weeks, but I'm just going to leave it there. When you would be playing, you know, four to seven or more gigs a week and you'd look back and almost be like, what just happened? You know, and then you do it again the next week. So it's been almost like a cleanse or sort of a, a, a an appreciation, having a greater appreciation for that, but then also like getting some distance from that and um, just kind of yeah, like you like you said, it's like a partner or a lover, like re getting to know music again from right. this space and like learning how I've actually talked to a couple of drummers about this, too. I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like our roles are so well, A, I think drummers and singers have you know, we got this we have this bond. We yeah. have this connection that's very deep. It's a thing. But I also feel like um, something about the way it, it just feels like such a social like, it's strange for me to be singing just for myself sometimes. I miss, I feel like so much of my love for music is really about the locking in with, with the band members, particularly the drummer, and locking in with the audience and all of that. So it's been like, yeah, I feel you as far as not necessarily. I've had phases of both being like, wow, I'm learning to play guitar for the first time. And, and like, it's a very therapeutic thing as opposed to being connected so much to performance, like so much of the music has been or listening to songs that I don't know when I'm going to sing them, but learning the words for those. So it's, it's totally different than any, than anything that as, you know, as a, as an adult that I've experienced in this profession, you know? Yeah. It's, it's funny because for us performers, it's for me and you, I know for sure. It's the first time we've been home. I mean, I can't remember like, when was the last yes. time you spent 10 months at home? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> 11 I know. Months at, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. you know, we live in hotel rooms. So, so even navigating that and just being like, wait, I'm home. Like, okay, well, what do I, what do people do when they're home? Right. Right. And I realized that this is the thing, like all these realizations about what music actually does for us, for our spirit, for our mind, all of these things. And I've always said that for me, a lot of the goal of music is to see the world and connect with people while, while we're there. Like it's the most beautiful way to travel because you get treated well, you get to see places and you get to connect with people on like a really intimate level. And, you know, in a way that you don't necessarily, if you go as an independent traveler or whatever. So I, I've always like connected music and travel. And I've, I know, I'm sure you too, like, I have missed that so much. And I've been like, last night I was talking to my mom on the phone. I was just like, I'm sick of being on this block. I'm sick of being only like <laughs> within a mile radius of my apartment. Like this is, it's, it's a challenge to, you know, figure out who you are yeah. when you're not doing that. You know what? You left the most important part of that out. And that Which part, part is somebody else pays for it. That's the That's best right. part. <laughs> you get, you know, and you get to, I feel like, it's true. And somebody else pays for it. You get like nice drinks, nice food. You get taken mm -hmm. to the nice places, but you don't have to like, you know, you see how the other half is living, but then you get to leave and have your, you know, you don't have to, right. you don't have to be at the corporate job all the time or whatever. <laughs> like, That's right. That's it's, right. It's such a beautiful experience to see the yeah. world through music. Yeah. Now. All right. So we, we hit out of Idaho. You left Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> the Mecca. I go back a lot. You, okay, you go back a lot, but you left. No, actually, I had a couple. Um, so I went to um, 
a community college actually for two years and got and did some did the music program there and um in the northwest because a lot of this a lot of black american music i'll say is not like in the blood so to speak it's not you know your grandpa's not working at the church and your your dad doesn't play three instruments and things so a lot of and i know you can appreciate this with the with second line collective arts collective is that my connection to music was through music education so like i kind of you know i have this little tender spot for for vocal jazz because that's how i connected through you know to the music initially and i had a couple great mentorships um in the Northwest. So I was living in Portland and um, my mentor, Dave Bardoon always had like listening sessions. It's the first time I heard about Carmen McRae. It's the first time I heard about Mark Murphy, you know, vocalists and, and things like that. It's also through that experience, I got the chance to see what it's like to perform. Like it's kind of a safe environment because we'd go into high schools and things, but you know, as someone who I didn't have to hit that cold right out and be like, I want to be a performer and have be an artist. So it's kind of a safe place to experiment with what that is, what that life is like. And then I met my, another mentor. Um, her name's Louise Rose. She's like this hidden gem and she lives up in Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. Mm, yep. And um, she invited me to study with her. So I moved up to Canada. So I lived in Canada for oh, wow. eight years on Vancouver Island and had a mentorship with her. And that's where I went to um, university, not for music, but for Spanish. Right. Okay. Vancouver Island. They got that good sushi, man. I'm- <laughs> They got a lot of good things up there. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it. Yes, they do. Yeah. It's just that ferry ride from Seattle to Vancouver. Seattle like boats. And honestly, that was a huge drawback as, as I started to have a professional career because you have to add on like half a day when you're traveling with the ferry schedules and getting to the ferry and figuring out all that stuff. So that was that was difficult. But the island is magical. It's really beautiful. BC is beautiful in general, but I loved Vancouver Island and what what made you study Spanish, you know? Like what what drew you to that versus, you know, most people do like what? Like composition or some other musical thing. Right. Like- so I got to university and I was very much just about like being a performer, but I do come from teachers. And so they're like, get your education. We're not messing around. So I was like, okay. So um, I did start in the music program, but it was definitely geared towards um, classical music and very much about folks who wanted to be teachers. And I didn't see myself at the time, although I've been teaching quite a bit lately, as a music teacher. So I wasn't, you know, that didn't call me. And um, I've, I think music and language are very much connected. So I guess, I don't know, I started out in linguistics and that was super boring to me. Sorry, but I was like, <laughs> oh, it's boring. But I had to take a Spanish course and I fully fell in love with it. And my dad um, also was a Spanish teacher. So I'm sure it was some subconscious thing going on there. But um, I grew up with his connections to South America and sort of hearing some Spanish. And um, it just like captured my heart in the same way that music did. I felt like someone like injected it into my body. So I got my bachelor's and then I was going to come to New York after that. And then my my parent, my mom and my grandmother were like, you should stay and get your master's degree. I was like, oh, so got a little, you know, did the thing and um, ended up getting a master's degree in Latin American studies and speak wow. it regularly and teach it as well, do private lessons in Spanish. Yeah, so right. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, when you're living up in Harlem, it's easy. It's easy. It is. <laughs> I like to surprise everybody, though. It's fun. It's really oh, yeah. fun up here. They're like, wait, you Idaho? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> exactly. They're like, it is a Puerto Rico. I'm like, right. not from Puerto Rico. Not from, from Puerto Boise, Rico. Idaho. That's right. Boise. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> so let's get to the music. You got you got a brand new record in, in the can. 
Yeah. So it's got, um, we've got probably one more mixing session. Um, Joseph Bransford is mixing it for us and it's um, produced by Misha Piatigorsky, co-written with him as well. And he produced my first album, which I made a long time ago. We're not talking about when I made it a long time ago and making a new one. That's yeah, almost finished. And I will say it has been almost finished for a very long time. And I think most artists understand how that goes. Um, And I'm also, you know, it's kind of like right now, thinking about how to release an album. What does it mean to release an album? What is, because so much of, um, for me about an album release is that it's um, a stepping stone for opportunity for travel, for performing and things like that. So um, yeah, the album was made, my, my dad passed away the same, or actually within a week of the 2016 uh, election. And I was with him when those results came through. And I know that for a lot of people that was very um, upsetting and traumatic and it was for me and it was for my dad. So that sort of was the impetus for creating or, you know, basically kind of processing some of that grief through creating new music and started recording, I believe in 2018. Okay. So it's been a couple of years going, but, um, wow. but it will be, it's almost done. Okay. I see that it will be finished. What's the name of it? Um, so it's called, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's called Cannon and Sparrow. Cannon and Sparrow. What the heck? <laughs> okay, so I don't know what I love. I'm a huge geek. I love lyrics. I love to journal. I love to write. So um, and I like to research things. So I can't remember. I think I was writing lyrics to a song called Superhero. And it's about like what is it to be a superhero superhero in this moment, like for yourself, for other people, like to really step up to the plate. And somehow I came across this um, saying that's a Russian saying um, that says it's like shooting uh, a cannon into sparrows. And that was um, symbolic of like overkill. Like it's way too much. It's devastating. It's it's you don't need all that for these little tiny things. Right. So for me, it became a metaphor. I, I wanted like the album is basically dedicated to folks who have been devastated. It's dedicated to the devastated. And it's, um, you know, I think I love the symbol, the symbolism of the sparrow as the singing bird. Like, what is it to sing through these times? What is it to create through these times? And also the canon of like we and then it became even more deep through the pandemic with so much loss of like really so much destruction and devastation. How do you um, you know, we, we, we have lost a lot of people, some people survive some people thrive but for me it's just it's actually like those two images and the duality of that really have allowed me to process a lot like become a really layered metaphor including for the voice because like the canon being sort of politically sounding off I'm talking on this album about a number of things LGBTQ rights Black Lives Matter um sort of social justice things what it is to be a superhero and then also there's an eight minute ballad about like longing for someone that's very this sort of sparrow like light soft intimate sound so it also became sort of like the two sides of the voice or the extremes of the voice as well right 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 right. wow yeah it's it's funny because i always tell people music takes time and so i appreciate Mm. that you you're taking two three years to kind of to get this right because Mm -hmm. because that's more important and also it's interesting that your music is encompassing the entirety of emotion, it seems, you know, like you, you kind of cover everything, man. And especially in this moment, like you said, during COVID, where 
all experiencing loss on a level that we've never experienced it before, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. And we need music. And and you asked the question, like, how do I even, you know, put music out in this environment? Because the environment is changing. It's like, okay, there there I can't tour it. Um, how are people gonna how are they gonna consume it and how are they gonna purchase it and how am I gonna perform it? Those are real questions that we don't really have the answers to and we're kind of just trying to figure out a Yep. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, that I liked the symbol of like canon of war and like machinery and all of that. And then Sparrow of like, and, and the lyric that I wrote was just like, we're, we're only living, living, breathing beings, you know, like this small sort of breath and this animated, you know, the spirit animating us. Um, and the, the joy is like an act of, it's an act of, of rebellion in some ways. Like we, we need joy too. Like we need, we need music. We need to feel good through this time as well. So hopefully, like you said, lots of different sides going on in there. Yeah. I, you, you sent me a few tunes and I do, I want to play both of them. Actually, I think you sent me. Okay. And, and I want to start out with beautiful friendship, right? It's just a jazz standard, and, but, <laughs> but you made it funky, you know? So, Thank uh, you. Yeah, that one is one. Um, when we were t- talking about it, that's always been one of my very favorite standards. And I brought it to the table for Misha and was like, "Let's let's do something with this." And so he created that arrangement, and I I love it, and it's so much fun to sing. Okay. Is the end of a beautiful friendship. It ended just a moment ago. This is the end of a beautiful friendship. I know for your eyes they told me so. We were always just like sister and brother until tonight. When we looked at each other, that was the end of a beautiful friendship Bye. 
earlier when I was listening to it, the exact same thing happened to me. I was just like, I just wasn't ready for it to end. So you, <laughs> I'm going to need you to record that again. I'm going to need about five more minutes of that. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one is so jamming. Like, you know, who, who would have thought that Beautiful Friendship could be so funky, you know, and it's such a great <laughs> tune. And I actually have a story about that song. Please. And I'm going to tell you because it's my show. <laughs> when I was in, when I was in, uh, I think, I can't remember if I was in college or high school, like 12th grade, first year of college, Otis Brown III, he played that song with, I think, uh, Joe Lovano. And I used to just listen to it over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. I'd be like, man, one day I'm going to go to New York, man. I'm going to meet Otis Brown III. <laughs> and, like, and it's funny because I don't even think I've ever seen him since I've once or twice since I've been in New York, the eight years I've been here. But, oh, wow. But anyway, that that's my uh, that's my affiliation with that song. But any, tell us, tell us how that you already told us it came, how it all came about. But why did you choose that one? Like what? what? I, I always feel like that's always. Yeah, no, that's always one of those songs for me that I love to start a set with. Like, I feel like there are songs that are invitations for people. And for me, that beautiful friendship is like that. Like, this is just the beginning of what we're about to do, you know, and, and there's so much love that happens in a room when there's live music. So um, that's how that's one of the reasons why I always I often include it in a set. And then I heard it from Joe Williams um, and a live version of it. And I just oh, Joe Williams. I just love him so much. And he's so funky with it, but also so like I feel like he's there's, I don't hear, like, I just, he's just so familiar and so like almost conversational with it. So I remember like, I think he starts off with a, with scatting or something. And I was just like, I heard it really early on. And I just remember being like, wow, this is so fun. Like, it's such a feel good thing. And then that arrangement, like it's sort of samba, but it's sort of funk. And especially with drummers, you know, like I said, the drummer thing, I always love to hear how drummers approach that. And then we like open up some of those interludes so people can really kind of solo on it. And it's, I, I actually create a lot of, or the, a lot of the songs that I'm drawn to are things that I can picture singing live, like how much fun it will be to do something, to, to perform it live. And it, that includes how I write tunes. It's like, oh, this section live, we can really open it up and play with it. Or this can be a kill-in like drum solo over the ending vamp or whatever it will be. So I, I think a lot about live performance when I'm picking tunes for yeah. an album. Yeah. I'm picking when I'm writing tunes. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, really for real. We need everybody is gonna. I need all y'all to write the comments and, and email Emily and tell her to re-record that. And we need about five, <laughs> five or ten more minutes of that because that's funky. Um, so this right, this song, we, this beautiful friendship, is on the record we were just talking about, right? That's right. And it's coming out, so y'all can get that soon. And who's on that record? So it's Rudy Royston. Oh, see, come on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I, need I say more? It's Rudy Royston, who was also on my first album. So that was kind of like a little reunion. Um, and then also Danton Bowler. So he plays upright and electric on that album. And that's sort of the, the core group. Um, Freddie Bryant recorded some guitar on it. Tatum Greenblatt recorded some trumpet on it. Um, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. But yeah, that... Um, that's the core. That was the trio that was in the studio it was Misha Piatigorsky, Danton Bowler, and Rudy Royston. Okay. That's what's up. I kind of yeah. want to just get right into this next song, which I almost never do, but I, okay. I want to play it right now because it's all sure. funky. And while we're sitting here and everybody ready to listen to some music, I'm, I'm going to hit it right now. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. 
See, this time I'm ready. That was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, listen, I don't know what church you go to, but I want to go to it too. So go ahead and tell me so I can show up. Because I hope you sing in that choir, because that's crazy. It's in Idaho. You going to go to Idaho? Oh, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Church, you know, I go to church where the 55 bars. Oh, Mom's yeah. Jazz, so I go to, you know. yeah. <laughs> Look, it's funny that you say that because I was just having this conversation with somebody and I was like, you know what it is, man? Our church is the bandstand. And that's that's where we we get we get to talk to God, you know, and, and, Truth. and now we got to find a new way. But listen, yeah, I, I'm going to need you to just come to my house and just with your band, just play in my <laughs> living room. because. <laughs> Okay, as long as you're in the band, I'm good. Uh, okay, I mean, well, I've been trying to get you in right, the band. All right, I'm, I'm, I, mean, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. But I, <laughs> I swear, you are. You actually, you hold the record for turning turning me down so many times. Listen, you're like, nope, busy, can't do it. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. You know <laughs> how you know how people call you. They call you on the days that you have to work. It's funny how that but, works out. It's, like, it's a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like I'm at home chilling. Nobody's calling, but that one gig I got. <laughs> I get 15 calls. It's like, damn, I can't do it. But but no, we're gonna we gonna it's make all it work. Good. We're gonna make it work. We yeah, will. I wanna yeah. I wanna talk about first of all, that that's amazing. And I can't wait to buy this record. And it sounds like everybody in the comments can't wait either. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for watching too. That's right. I do want to talk about your your spirituality and since we're here and, mm-hmm. and how you express. Whew. Um Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, I feel like I just was reading something about like when you're in love with life, spirituality is everywhere, you know. And I've had so many people who have shown me what it is to be in love with life and to find yourself spiritually engaged with with everything, whether that's being outside and going for a bike ride or cooking or sitting in silence and developing your relationship with yourself like that is you know I think this experience has given so much so many of us like an opportunity to do that um and through music especially absolutely like I feel like that's a direct connection to spirit god um everyone the collective you know it's a very collective experience for me and and sort of tapping into that energy what you know of what is soul and and what all these things are that you can't really put words to it but you just know that you always want to stay connected to it and you find ways to seek that out. And um, I guess without live performance, I mean, there has been a lot of sadness and a lot of pain around that. I think for artists, I don't think we can um, overstate how difficult this has been for mo- for a lot of artists who are used to connecting to that immediate intimate connection with people through music. Um, but it has given us so much um so many opportunities to, like you said, seek that out elsewhere and to find who we are without that and to find what we, you know, how to, how to feel that kind of joy and how to feel it when you're just by yourself in your room or all of those things. So, um, I feel really led by spirit and spirituality and I don't name those things as, as Christianity or as I'm, I'm sort of one of those that it's, it's a very, open thing for me, but I know when it's present and I always seek it out and I know when it's not, you know? So. Absolutely. um, Yeah. I like that. I like that. For for me, (laughs) I got my own religion, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm the only one allowed to practice it. But uh, it's funny because my wife walked in on me the other day 
I was in my in here listening to some 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 church music, and I just was having my own. I said I had my own church in here by myself, man, because you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. It's really funny. So church has always been as a as a white girl from a white woman from Idaho. Um, I I remember in high school like going to the Baptist church in Idaho and being like the the one black church in Boise and being like this music is amazing and and I had an unfortunate experience where. Um, uh, a while after that, shortly after that, I saw folks from that church at an anti-LGBTQ type of thing. So for me, that's something that's always been a rub for me about religion, about church. Um, and I I also always have this joke that if I were to go to church, like I live in Harlem, I technically could. But I feel like I would be that woman on the ground, like fully lost in it because music is so powerful. I don't think there's any substitute for that. And I I, um, I haven't had a lot of experiences in black churches. I've had a few, um, but I feel like I get part of that on the bandstand from people who spend a lot of time in black churches. And I also listen to quite a bit of gospel music that has actually helped me get through the pandemic. Um, lots of Marvin Sapp has been getting me through, you know? And, um, so I, I, I feel like that is some of the highest form of, of, of just music period, you know, and, and with worship involved, it's so potent and so powerful, but I swear to you, I'd either be in tears or on the ground, like just lost because I right. know how powerful it is. Yeah. That's all right. Somebody going to come by with a handkerchief and wipe your head. <laughs> You'd be like, Emily, you can't come back. You need to <laughs> nah, they're gonna like, make sure you come back next week. <laughs> I'm, I'm so in this pandemic, you know, we're all going through a phase of, of either uh, growth or contraction. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm kind of curious about like, what's one thing that you've realized has been holding you back from growth um, in your time of stillness? Oof. I, uh, I feel like now we're in church. See, now I gotta cry or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, this has been just the most profound experience of my life thus far. And when you said growth and contraction, I feel like both of those things simultaneously have existed. Um, you know, learning that I'm much more of an introvert than I thought I was and that I, you know, taking a break from being out in the public so much, but then also like craving the connection with other people. So like to, I can't even explain how much I've missed that too. Um, as far as growth, I feel like, man, wow. Um, I started going to therapy two years ago. So that has been a huge, a huge thing. And then now that through this experience and like, I always kind of have this thing about like staying with myself through difficult times, like stay with yourself. It doesn't matter what's happening. Just don't leave yourself. If that makes sense. Like don't give up on yourself. Keep going through the process of what you've been going through. And I feel like, um, I'm, I have had moments even just recently, as recently as like, singing with um, Willem Dallas Ford on Monday, where I can tell that some healing has occurred, um, you know, and, and part of that has to do with, um, with, <laughs> with white supremacy, with my relationship to race, with, with my understanding of my role in the music that I make with, um, uh, with my role as someone who wants to show up in more than just on the bandstand for black culture, black people, and for what this, what the country, you know, what the country actually could potentially be, um, which is a space for everybody. So a lot of my thinking and my journaling and my 
therapy sessions and has, has been really like delving into that and figuring out how to stand in my own truth and also be an instrument and be, be available for the better, you know, the, the greater good in a sense and for the people around me and for myself too, because that's the thing about white supremacy is that I think most of us are realizing at this point is that it's not about, you know, um, white people, like it, it, it really hurts and affects white people in a very different way too. It takes a lot of humanity away from white people too, you know? And I think that that is a smaller piece as far as it being a direct action and a direct threat. But I do think it's an important piece for folks, more folks. I wish more folks would realize that, that like racism is, it's, it is, it feels like a mental issue. It feels like a, it's, it's a sickness. And so like really trying to, I feel very, very strongly about, about finding, examining that being like, how do I support white supremacy? How does white supremacy support me? And how can I start to pull that apart? You know? So it's been kind of a private, a very private um, process and, and there's lots of little facets to it, you know, um, more just reading like books are a good thing. Let's read more everybody, you know, and having real conversations with real people that I care about and love and, um, just learning, you know, some of the different facets of how to be a better human on this planet. So I think, I think that that has been a huge part of my experience in, like you said, the contraction, but also like, wow, realizing how, how I can be in this world and how I can be better in this world, you right, know? Right. Right. Well, you as just, a white person specifically. You just, okay. You just said a lot there. Cause you know, I, we, we have faced, you know, as a nation over these last four years, I mean, over over the last 400 years for Black people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've been going through it. And I think on January 6th, it was kind of like, for me, I Oof. was like, oh, okay. So I knew the country was racist, but when I just watched all those people do what they did and walk away, I was like, oh. Now, yeah. now <laughs> it's kind of like they rubbed it in your face, you know? It's like, yeah, yep. you know, one guy sells a cigarette and he dies and another guy, mm-hmm. you know, goes to the Capitol to murder people. Right. He goes home. So. And walks home that same yeah. day. Right. So, you know, we, we got a lot of work to do as a country I, and individually yep. as people also. Yep. I mean, uh, shit just got real. Wow. <laughs> but no, no, no. I think it's really important. And I do think that, um, January 6th specifically, um, you can't not name that now. And I'm glad that that's, that it's, it, it has, it, um, as crazy as that was, like, I'm still processing that. I was, I was like catching up in my journaling for January and like writing it down, just being like, whoa. Um, but it, it, you can't, I feel like anyone refusing to, um, call it what it is you know, which, and, and like, I appreciated that the new president used the words white supremacy in his speech and and used the word racism in his inauguration speech. Like, I think it's an opportunity for more people. I know many people have been naming it for a very long time, but more white people maybe specifically to like name that stuff. I won't curse on your program, but you know, like name it, call it, like, find it and pull it out. You know, like it's a weed, let's get into it. So I do think that there continues to be more people on board with, um, that's the only thing I'm encouraged by is more people on board with 
with what it really is, with what this country was founded on and, and what we're, what people are dealing with every single day. So right. yeah, I, I'm with yeah. you. It was very much in your face. Like, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully yeah. uh, those 74, 75 million people, at least some of them will, will see the light and then we can turn, yeah. turn the corner as a country. Yeah. And you know, we'll, we can all get lifted up, you know? Yep. Uh, absolutely. We, we getting close to time, Emily. And, and you know, no, <laughs> I know, but I do want to give you an opportunity to tell the people where to, to catch you at. I know you got a show coming up, and I do. Yeah, tell them all about that and, and how they can link up and give you all their money. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I like I like your style. Um, so February fourteenth, I'm doing a duo. Very, you know, Valentine's Day, big duo energy. Um, from Soapbox Gallery. They've been very supportive of, of me specifically through this whole pandemic. So um, soapboxgallery.org and um, we'll be singing some love songs. We'll, we'll have a couple little um, turns and things in there, but I'm really looking forward to that show. And um, and yeah, please connect with me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, Instagram specifically, I'm not, I'm not spending too much time on there, but I do post where where I'm playing. So hopefully there'll be more of that as we go on. Um, yeah. And I also just want to really quickly props to you for create, for being one of the creators or the creator of second line arts collective. I think what you're doing out in the world is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you've been at it for a long time. So thank you. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. The more I can encourage people to donate and, and support you all, I absolutely will do that. Give, yeah, give us both your money. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is what socializing is now. It's like, yeah, get to see a friend. <laughs> so thank you. And congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Thank you for, you know, like, bring it. Thank you for the, I was going to say, thank you for the dad statuses. They crack me up. You're, you're <laughs> I'm always like, oh no. <laughs> Life is different now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>